I'm pitching for Freddy's. Do you mind, brother? Mm-hmm. Oh, hey. Oh, man, I'm sorry. That, that was rude of us. Uh, you're telling jokes. We probably shouldn't be telling in church and drinking malts. But, hey, the Lord had a good time, did he not? You know the Lord had to laugh. I mean, look what he had to deal with. You know he laughed. He had to laugh at us. Yeah, he had to. Look what he's, I know he laughs at me still. So anyway, uh, but if you are joining us online, we're honored to have you with us tonight. As always, Richard, stand by. Let him know you're there. Say hi. Any questions you have, he can take care of them for you. Bottom right-hand corner, though, what's so important is prayer requests. We want to be praying for you to uh, be a blessing every way we can. But uh, as we always say, it's private, secure, so don't worry about it being shared. But we want to be praying for you. But thank you for joining us tonight. Um, just uh, some things going on. Uh, my, uh, our sister's still in the hospital. We still covet y'all's prayers towards her. Tomorrow's her birthday. And, uh, and uh, so she gets January or February the 1st, and then... The other 27 days are February or my days. So she gets February the 1st. I get February birthday month. So uh, mine's a few days after hers. But, yeah, tomorrow's her birthday. So still doing her rehab and and uh, just, you know, still, still a ways to go. But uh, just keep her in prayers. They would appreciate it. We would as a family. Uh, tomorrow is uh, Bob and Joy's granddaughter. Uh, Olivia is having the cyst removed from the base of her skull uh, or brain, I guess you can say. Uh, they're still saying it's a cyst, which is a good thing in comparison. So uh, we're praying that it's a one and done thing. Their doctors are expecting to be able to drain it and it'll never be an issue again. But it's still, it is still surgery and it's still in the, uh, you know, in the brain area. So keep Olivia in prayer tomorrow. I believe it's at 12, they said. Yeah, 12 is uh, the surgery. So we'll post how that went uh, after we get news about that. So, and then Callan, uh, Terry, and Charlotte's uh, great great grandbaby, great grandson, uh, has come home. And so they've released him from the hospital. Uh, to kind of tell you the state that he's in, it took 11 medical personnel to transport him. And uh, so it was a quite an ordeal to get him home. He's still on the trach and still uh, waiting for needing, you know, his lungs to develop. Mark, I think I'm in a barrel, or it sounds like a barrel to me. And I appreciate that. So uh, anything else we need to be aware of in our immediate family? What are you doing that for? Nothing else to do? Just like you get your cataract surgery done, I may even be even better looking then. No, no. <laughs> well, now we know she has the surgery, doesn't show up, we know why. <laughs> so, oh, I didn't know he looked like that. <laughs> yes, there's nothing there, so, yeah, good there. So, anyway, 
All right, well, let's pray, and uh, we'll get started again. If you have any prayer requests online, let Richard know. We want to be uh, bathing those in prayer as well. So let's pray. We'll get started. Father, thank you for tonight, the opportunity to come together and just to fellowship and to laugh together. And But, Father, we lift up these prayer requests, and uh, they're serious in nature, as always, as they all are, and the ones unspoken. Father, we just lift them up to you, place them, as we say, at the foot of your cross, and just seek your perfect will. Ask that you uh, bless these individuals that are involved in these requests and uh, strengthen them in their peace and comfort that you're in control. And uh, where doctors are involved, give them just great wisdom and skill that you blessed them with and uh, anoint them through whatever procedures and um, diagnosis they're doing. But we always call upon you as a great physician and uh, that you would intervene uh, where it's your will and do what only you can do, and that's heal. So we thank you for that. We ask that you be with, uh, be with us tonight. Prepare our hearts for your truth. Help us to continue to grow in your grace. In Christ's name, amen. All right, continuing on here with Ephesians. Uh, I, I don't want to really want to skip over. We, we ended it at uh, verse 12 last week. But in verses 13 through 21, Paul makes this emphatic plea. And I'm on, I don't think I gave that to you, Mark. I don't know if am I asking too much to pull up verse 13 of chapter 3. And I just want to hit some highlights here because there's, we're going to see there is a huge trans, uh, transition, would be the word, that takes place after the first three chapters and heading into the last three chapters of Ephesians. So here at the end of chapter 3 is just, you know, I think the best way to, to describe it is this emphatic plea that Paul puts out to surmise what he had been sharing over the first three chapters. And, of course, that has to do specifically with who and what Christ is and the redeeming work that he came to do. Now, keep in mind, these are very new Christians. Ephesus is, is they're at the threshold of a major commerce. There's a major seaport there. Uh, they're a, a, a large church that young Timothy's put in. Uh, you got all these, I'll say Judea, not really Judaizers, but Pharisees, and, and the, you know, the legality that was creeping in. So Paul's writing back to these very young Christians. And uh, listen to, to some of these words here while Mark's pulling them up. He says here in verse 13, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. Uh, well, excuse me, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, here he starts getting more specific, grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened mightily by his Spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all believers, what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Christ, which passeth our knowledge that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. In a sense, this is really reading like a prayer. Paul's, in a sense, putting this prayer out uh, through this letter. And a very powerful prayer. Wouldn't you like to have somebody praying that over you? I mean, these are strong words. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly 
above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all, all ages in the world without end. So we're going to see here this transition that's going to take place. And, uh, and it puts an emphasis here how Paul closes out chapter 3 or closes out these first three chapters. But I want to talk to you about the word that Paul gets across in these last three chapters, especially starting in chapter 4, is maturity. And when we think of maturity, we can get a lot of definitions, can we not? And one thing, I think we could all attest to this. In my years, I've seen some 18-year-old men. I've seen some 16-year-old men. And I've seen some 60-year-old boys. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and that 60-year-old boy can have resources, career, money, have everything and still, in the sense of maturity, be a boy. And yet this 16, 18-year-old hasn't had a chance to, you know, to establish careers or have portfolios or anything, and yet carry themselves in a manner that is great maturity. And so Paul stresses the importance of our maturity in our Christian walk. And I really believe this is something that really hinders the church today. And when I say maturity within the church, I'm just not talking solely how we act and react which is part of it without a doubt how we act and react to the word of god but also how are we walking by faith in the word of god that'll be dependent directly upon our maturity when we lack spiritual maturity we're going to suffer in our faith because remember simply i mean it's a it's a simple definition but for illustration points when we say faith putting god's word over your own if you lack the maturity to overcome your selfishness, how are you going to put God's word over your own? It's going to be a stumbling block. And we, I think we have a lot of immaturity, spiritual immaturity within the church. So Paul's lesson to these young believers is pointed out. Look at verses 14 and 15 with us in uh, chapter 4. That we henceforth be no more what? Children. Now that's a most simplistic form of definition of maturity is it not you're acting like a child and, and this is what paul's pointing out here that we henceforth no more be children don't act like children don't respond like children don't be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive verse 15 but speaking the truth in love May you grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even unto Christ. So, so Paul tells us right here in verses 14 and 15, and I'm going to make the emphasis here in a second, back to verse 1. He's getting out of this plea to draw us towards Christ. And as we read in verses 13 through 21 of chapter 3, he closes with this prayer that we come to understand and just grasp who and what Christ is. And then he's going to use the word, therefore. And this word, therefore, launches us into this other direction, this direction of spiritual maturity. So I think of this. Uh, I, post, I sent this out to the men this morning. In Judges 16, 
in verses 15 through 16. But Judges 16 talks about Samson gets in trouble with Delilah. And we, we pretty much know the story there. They come and they, the, uh, the Philistines ask Delilah, find out the source of his strength so we can kill him. And he talks about this, takes his strength. And that wasn't the case. And Delilah says, oh, you lied to me. What is it? And she says this, it's not the rope. So finally, she says, here in 15 of uh, Judges, she says, look, you're lying to me. How can you say that you love me and you won't let me be a part of you? He's like, oh, okay. You know, if you cut my hair off, I'll lose my strength. Now, I, I say this for this fact that Samson gave in to, to his desire to want to be accepted by Delilah. He forewent his, his, uh, um, his Nazarene vow not to cut his hair. He knew where his strength lies, but he bought into the lie. He bought into this, not really doctrine in that case, but he, fought, he bought into this false narrative by Delilah that she loved him too. Now, Samson loved her. She was against him. She was willing to see his eventually his eyes gal, you know, gouged out and his hair cut off, and we know how you know, the story comes about uh, through his death. But here's the thing about maturity. Staying on this track here, we'll just use a traditional girl and boy. There's not too many women out there to be interested in a 35-year-old man, use that definition loosely, living in his parents' basement, playing video games, and his mother feeding him peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I mean, his dating life's probably not going to be too active, okay? But here's the thing. Here's an image. I don't know if we got this image. Oh, we're having trouble. We got it. I posted this today, and, and, and I came across it. Also, I, I didn't draw that by any means. Uh, I saw it, and I thought, wow, how indicative is that? I thought, that is so true. You know, easy decisions, they're fun. Who doesn't like sliding down the hill and having a good time? But you take easy decisions, a lot of times you end up with a hard life because you want to take the easy road. And it doesn't take a lot of maturity just to do the convenient thing or to do the selfish thing. Matter of fact, that's a big part of immaturity is one that is just selfish in their actions. Won't take, you know, won't take responsibility, won't stand up, won't be accountable. Yet the alternative or the opposite is hard decisions and somebody's willing to stand up for doing the right thing, respond the right way, fight through the obstacles, persevere, learn some lessons along the way, get some bumps and bruises and scrapes or a broken bone or two, but endure, and doing so, you're going to end up, that says an easier life, I would say a better life. And this is what Paul's calling the church to here. He's calling to, to, to a life change in their actions. So life is challenging. We know life is challenging. But we don't want to look for the easy answers. Instead, we want to look for an opportunity to change for the better. And I say that opportunity. 
a lot of times if you want to mature, do you just mature naturally? You can mature in age. You don't have to do anything to be a day older, a year older, five or ten. But just because you go from 20 to 30, 40, does that mean you mature with each of those years? No, that's why you end up with a 60-year-old boy or a 60-year-old girl. So if we truly want to mature, we got to find opportunities. Or I say find, we got to seize opportunities to mature. That means when life hits us in the mouth, do we just always just run back to mom and dad if they're a young age? Or if we're older in age, we can't run back to mom and dad. Do we just run back to whatever our vice is to make life easy? We go and hide. We avoid the challenge. We don't stand up to the challenge. We don't want to fight through it and, and, and see what God's teaching us. So we got to see that these opportunities exist, and, and God calls us through these. And this opportunity to be better. And every opportunity for change will come with a challenge. Anytime we grow in the Lord, we just don't grow by prayer, do we? We're going to grow. It's, it's like the old, you know, pray for patience. Now, if God just gave you patience, did you learn patience? No. So if you want to grow in patience, and God says, you know what? Todd's serious about that. He really wants to mature and become more patient. Good for him. Is he going to give it to me, or is he going to put me in situations that require patience? We know what he's going to do. And that's everything in our spiritual walk. So if we truly want to mature in the Lord that, that Paul's calling us to, we'll see here in a second, we've got to understand it's going to come with a challenge. If God knows your heart's sincere, I think a lot of what, I just, God's got to have a sense of humor. Well, he, he, Todd's talking good. I know he wants to in his heart. Let's find out if he really wants to be patient. And God creates those opportunities and sits back and waits for us to respond. And that's the only way we can mature in the Lord. Look what it says in Job 23.10. Job, in the, we know the plot that Job went through in the middle of his situation. But Job says, but he, being God, knows the way that I take. When he has, what? What's that next word? Tried me, I shall come out as gold. Now, do you think Job ended up being a mature man spiritually? You better believe he did. Very much so. And he went in righteous and came out even more mature and stronger than he went in as a righteous man. Job understood that somehow, some way, God would make all that he was going through better if he just held on to the price. Even though his wife was saying, curse God and die, Job says, I'm not listening to you, woman. I'm holding on to the price. And we know in his story, up until chapter 38, he wasn't even too sure what he was on, you know, holding on to was the right thing. But it proved to be the case. And then there's our testimony. Our testimony is tied directly to our, our maturity. Meaning the Lord may have assigned you to such a mountain as that diagram a while ago. God may have assigned you that mountain. 
in hopes that you will move it, climb it, overcome it, so you can be a witness to somebody else. Hey, been there, done that. Bought the T-shirt. Still have it. Let me show you how I got through it. Let me show you how I got up it. Then you're able to help somebody else and literally climb it with them. Stand at the top, cheering them on, encouraging them on. Hey, you want to get up here? It's worth it. The view's going to be worth it, and the reward is going to be worth it. So it, maturity ties to our testimony. If we're always taking an immature route, what testimony do we have to offer? It's going to be hard for God to use us to inspire others, you know, in true spiritual leadership. So let's look at Ephesians 1 here. And we don't have, we just got a few verses here to drive this point home. But Ephesians 1, what's that very, well, second word. What's that second word there? Yeah. He says there, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Whoo, I'm glad I'm not you, Todd, because I haven't been called in the ministry. Like, No, you, we've all been called. If you're a child of God, you may not have been called to be a pastor, evangelist, a teacher, a prophet, or a disciple, you know, to the church, the five gifts God gives the church. But don't think for a second that you're not called. God, God calls every one of us to his kingdom work, to his purpose. The adage goes that whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, we definitely should see what it's there for. Good way to think of that. Because the word therefore is in the Scriptures a whole lot. So every time you read the Scriptures, I encourage you, if nothing else tonight, when you read the Scriptures and you see the Holy Spirit say, therefore, you should go hit the brakes and go, oh, therefore, what? What's it there for? Because God is usually, the Holy Spirit is usually, usually going to take us in a different direction, in a new direction, to, to open this up. So in this case, the, dare, the therefore is a spiritual hinge in Ephesians. It connects the first three chapters, like I told you, where Paul gives us the great clarity by which, he, you know, by which means to know God. Then it transitions into the last three chapters of Ephesians. So this, therefore, is literally a spiritual hinge. It's like, one, he's talking about all the, uh, the sufficiency and knowledge and wisdom of Christ. And he goes, therefore, because who and what Christ is, now we're going to this direction. And that direction has to do with the, uh, 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 with the maturity that we're called to in the Lord. So the question tonight is this. Have we started our transition? Or where are we in our transition? Our therefore. Because we all have a therefore. A therefore, uh, Brother Brad and I used to talk about it all the time, a therefore, we used to always call it an aha moment. Being in the ministry, investing in people, you see people just striving, trying to do right, wanting to grow in the Lord, wanting to mature, and something clicks in them. And that click is that therefore. And they come to realize 
they've been told all about who Christ is, the sufficiency of Christ, the power of Christ, the redemption of Christ. They, they, they have this degree of apologetics and definition of Christ. What they've never done is made that therefore transition that since Christ is that, then therefore I should be this. Does that make sense? And that, I'm telling you, is being in the ministry, that is the, that's the hardest pinnacle to get a believer over. Because when you're over here in the sufficiency of Christ, well, it's warm and cuddly. That's where the exhortation lies. Oh, man, you know, God loves you. You're a child of God now. Oh, you're in his family. Everybody loves it over here. Because it's emphasized how much God loves you, and he died for you, and you get to go to heaven, and you can't lose your salvation. Oh, you're going to do wrong, but don't worry. God loves you. Now, you know, I'm having some fun here, but it's hard to get people from there into the therefore that, oh, now that I understand that, oh, wait a second, you start reading Paul's teachings through a lot of his letters, there's some weight to the therefore. And it takes you out of that comfort of, your, of being it underneath your mother's care. Mom, I'm hungry. Would you like a peanut butter and Jeff? Oh, that'd be so good. You know, moms today, you know, you'd be 18 years old and laid up in bed. Oh, Mom, I don't feel good. You know, but at some point, you got to get out of bed and start taking care of yourself and feeding yourself because your parents expect you to grow up. And spiritually, the Lord definitely expects us to grow up. And this is what Paul's telling us. He's telling us there in verse 1, therefore that we learn to walk worthy, worthily. Walk towards something that has purpose, that has meaning, definition to it, it has substance. That when we speak of Christ or speak to the goodness of Christ, it has merit. It's hard to give an ear to an immature person, is it not? Oh, it just grates on you. you know, oh, yeah, everything's all good now. Everything's going their way. Wait till it doesn't. They start griping and belly aching and whining and all that stuff. You know, but you got somebody that that just always positive, always moving in a direction that's worth looking at or admiring. Or you see goodness, you see fruits come out of them. You see them persevere and overcome. That that draws our attention to such people. And this is what God calls us to. Look what it says in verse 3. Well, let's go on back. Let's do verse 2. We got verse 2. Our monitor. Oh, you got it working. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll go ahead and start with 2 and go through this. So here in you know, verse 1, he talked about, therefore, that we walk worthily. Verse 2, with all lowliness, you know, humility, meekness. With the long suffering, talking about patience and endurance, that's how we mature. Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity. This is big right here. We know how much Christ talks about unity within the church, within his family. Keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is what Christ is going to do. There is nothing more immature. Than somebody that causes dissension. Doesn't work in the military, does it, Brad? Doesn't really work in the corporate world with good leadership. 
There is nothing more disruptive to productivity than the selfishness of disunity. And when that filters within the church, that's why Paul's telling us, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. That means that you're mature enough that if something needs to be dealt with, it's dealt with either privately or it's dealt with in a manner that is secluded and it's dealt with with only the people that only the people that are directly involved in it and not broadcast on social media or not going around in the parking lot I just don't know why Todd does that sometimes and did this and did that no that's immaturity and Paul said don't 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 let that creep in to the family of God we should endeavor to keep unity and to do that, we know to keep peace takes great sacrifice, does it not? You've got to be willing to put up with some stuff that's not your preference. If you're in charge, you might do it different, and rightfully so. It doesn't mean either way is right or wrong. You don't really, not the way you do it, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. But if we're going to go along and we're going to be part of a bigger goal, a bigger vision that's bigger than us, which the church is, bigger than any of us individually, including the pastor. The vision of the church is set by the Holy Spirit. And we're all subjective. We're to endure in long-suffering and walk in that vision, that purpose, outside of our own interests. Jesus died. He died on the cross to bring about this unity with his family, to this common vision. While he died for us individually, he collectively brought every single one of us into his family as brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, Vicky and I, <laughs> you wouldn't believe the fights we had growing up. <laughs> I mean, if, they, if we would have filmed them back then and had technology, we could have put it up there with MMA. I mean, it was like physical fights. I mean, it was, I'm not bragging about it. It was just wild. I think that was our love language. I think because... Vicky and I are very close. I think that was the way we, instead of saying I love you, it's like, that's what I meant, you know. But, uh, uh, man, we would fight like cats and dogs, you know, brothers and sisters. We could be laughing and joking about a show or laughing at each other or messing. And the next moment, I mean, it was, it was smackdown. I mean, it was serious smackdown, okay. But that doesn't work in the family. Now, God bless my mother. I had to work two or three jobs. She wasn't there to break it up. So we had the whole apartment as our wrestling match and, and carried on. But that doesn't work in the family. You can't have such disunity, and God doesn't want it and doesn't want it all within his family. I mean, I mean, think of two hands. If your two hands got into it, I mean, got into it, busting knuckles, pulling each other, you start ripping skin, you start breaking a digit, you start dismembering a, a digit. Who does that ultimately hurt? Does it ultimately hurt you? They're both your hands, are they not? That's a great analogy when we fight, when we have disunity within the body. Two hands going, who that hurts is our Lord and Savior. He's not a respecter of persons, He doesn't take sides. And we wouldn't want to lose any, either one of our hands. We would definitely want our hands to get along. 
We're one body, one purpose, one vision directed by the head. And we know the head is Christ. So it's a powerful point that Paul brings out here in verse 3. Going to verse 4 here. There's one body, as I said, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The one thing that we're called to. Paul moves us to direct us to what's important and why we can't let immaturity disrupt it. It's interesting here because Paul points out in the next few verses, he points out seven uniting points. I don't know if you've ever seen it here in the Scriptures. I mean, look at what he says here in, in the unity. He talks about that there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God, and there's one spirit. Actually, seven or eight. So Paul points us directly to, to these, these seven unique units that God brings together within the family. And all that's under who? Christ. He controls it all. It's all brought together under him. Now, what's interesting, let's go into verse 7 here. But, what's that next word? Ah, but grace was given to each of us, i.e., through our salvation, and it continues on in our walk, was given to each of us according to the measure of whose gift? Ah, Christ's gift. Does it say the Holy Spirit's gift? No. There's a, in my opinion, there's a lot of misinterpretation. You can hear a lot of teaching that they go from here into 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the, the spiritual gifts. I, I don't personally agree with that because the Bible's crystal clear. Who gives the spiritual gifts? Say the Holy Spirit. Does it say, so back to verse 7, does it say by the measure of the Holy Spirit's gifts or Christ's gifts? Christ's gifts. So, these, so we got the gifts of the Holy Spirit laid out in, in 1 Corinthians. But now, verse 7, I think is clearly showing us the measure of Christ's gift. The gift that Christ gave to the church after his ascension were not the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts were given to us by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 again. The gift that Christ gave to the church was the same role that Christ plays for the church. And what role does Christ take in the church? The head. And the head is the leader. So the gifts that Christ is pointing us to and directing us to is the gift of spiritual leadership. How effective is church leadership, how effective is spiritual leadership going to be if an immature person has control of it? Probably not going to be very good leadership, is it? Also, it's going to be pretty selfish in nature. All believers in Christ belong to one body. All are united under one head. That's Christ himself. Each believer has has God-given abilities that can strengthen the whole body, that ministers to the whole body. Our special ability may seem small, it may seem large, it may seem insignificant, but irregardless of what we think it is by measure, it was given to us by God, and we're called 
to use those gifts for spiritual leadership. Prophets, those who are specific gifts to the church. Yes, that's the ultimate leadership. So you, and that's a great question. As a matter of fact, it's kind of in my notes. I kind of brushed through them. So you got Christ, the leader. All things are under Christ. Christ, the first thing he did was give the five gifts to the church, as you mentioned, teachers, prophets, evangelists. They then thus lead the church. But then through them, just like we get leadership, uh, from from uh, teaching pastors and from pastors and from, so while they each have their role of leading the church, who they lead is another leader. So the leadership never stops through us as a body. Now I happen to be one of the five gifts to the church as a pastor. So my job is to not only to transfer that truth to make sure that I'm led by the Holy Spirit only, and I'm in tune with the Holy Spirit, then when the Holy Spirit gives direction, then I share that direction, I share that vision, and then as a shepherd, then I help empower that person then to take it and further the leadership of it. Because if not, it's going to get to a point that a pastor can only lead so many people. That's why corporate, you know, you get to a place like Google or IBM, it's not just the president and vice president. Everybody's under them. We see the flow charts all the way down. And it takes leadership all the way. If you go way back to, uh, uh, go back to Exodus, remember Moses set up uh, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens? Every one of those were, were levels of leadership all the way through. So does that help answer your question? I'm sorry, I should have explained that in more detail. So, we're all called into leadership. So when Paul said a while ago, when he talked about this calling that we have, you may not be called to be a pastor or an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle or a teaching pastor, but you are still called into spiritual leadership. And then it goes back to verse 7. Remember it says, By, But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ. For what purpose? Look what verse 12 says. To equip the saints, that's the whole body of Christ, pastors on now, that's everybody, to the saints for the work of what? Ministry. We're all in ministry. At Covenant, it's not just me. I'm not the only one in ministry. We all should be doing ministry. And we're called to it. So back to my question for us tonight, there's the therefore. Are we grasping and understanding, which we usually don't have a problem, the, 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 uh, you know, the truth of Christ, the, the beauty of Christ, the love of Christ, but are, have we got through that therefore transition that since I understand all that, therefore I need to start maturing in Christ? It don't stay over here sucking my spiritual thumb. Because it's warm and comfortable and I'm, you know, somebody's there to, as we say, burp me and change me and always take care of me and let me know I'm loved. Well, at some point, we got to be the ones that are doing the burping and the changing as much as we don't like that. And the feeding spiritually. One person can't burp, change, feed, nurture 
teach everybody by themselves. There has to be other teachers. There has to be other leaders. If our actions, as far as leadership, this is how we know we're leading. If our actions inspire another, another believer, to learn more concerning Christ and the therefore learning more, doing more, and becoming more, if you can influence somebody in those areas to want to do more, learn more, and become more, 100% without a doubt, you're a spiritual leader. Without a doubt. When the Lord calls each and every one of us home, the only thing that matters to us is we hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. But if you're standing in a facility like this at a church and somebody comes up, you would hope that somebody says, man, they inspired me to stay in my race when I was about to get out, when I was about to give up on God, when I went through that divorce or I lost a spouse or this happened, when I was on my spiritual, man, so-and-so poured into me, prayed over me, stayed in touch with me. And kept me in my race today. That's spiritual leadership. This is the therefore Paul's calling us to. You don't want to have a funeral. I know it really won't matter because we won't be here. You or me won't be here. But you don't want your testimony to say, <laughs> Todd was pretty funny some of the times. He had some good jokes every now and then. That's not leadership. That's a good old boy. Had a lot of friends. He was fun to hang out with. Oh, Todd, no, no, he didn't really ever encourage me towards Christ or never really inspired me to, to grow up in Christ. No, that's what we're called to. This is what Paul's telling this young church. Hey, you got to get out. These first three chapters, we've addressed that. We've covered that. The sufficiency and love and power of Christ. And now that we understand that, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to see this as we go on the Wednesdays to come, the next three chapters, Paul says, look, we're past that. Time to get your spiritual thumb out of your mouth and start growing up. Because I've called you to do ministry. And you can't do ministry in the basement you know, hanging out in Jesus' basement asking for a PMB sandwich and play in church. We can't influence anybody there. Most opportunities to inspire or lead another person is missed because it appears as sacrifice and servitude. Oh, not interested in that opportunity. I don't have time to burp somebody. I don't have time to change somebody. I don't have time to feed somebody. Leadership is about influence, not authority. Oh, that is a big misnomer today. Everybody thinks leadership is a title, a position, and yet some of the greatest leaders in churches were never a pastor, never a Sunday school teacher, never a ministry leader, but they brought people by the droves into the church and stayed in touch with them 
and prayed with them and knew their struggles and visited them and took them to lunch and met their needs that pastors never had anything to do with. That's a spiritual leader. I'm telling you, we don't see it much. That somebody brings somebody in. Hey, you need to get underneath the Word of God. Man, why don't you come to church with me? And not one and done. You stay in touch with them during the week. Man, how'd your week go? I'm praying over that. Has, has anything changed in that? Well, we're going to keep on praying. When it changes, glory to God, rejoice. Hey, I'm going to come by. I'm looking forward to seeing you Sunday. I'll take you to lunch after. That's leadership. And that takes maturity. That last verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one what? Approved. Approved by who? Man or God? God. A worker. That's not the fun part. That's why not very many people are drawn to true leadership. They're drawn to positional leadership, title leadership, but not spiritual leadership. A worker who has no need to be ashamed of their actions, their sins, rightly handling the word of truth. If we can't handle the word of God correctly for our lives, how can we influence somebody else in their life? Can't do it. Because God will examine what kind of workers we are or what type of workers we've been for him. Thus, we should be building our lives on the Word and build His Word in others' lives. So spiritual leadership, this is what Paul starts calling us to here in the second half of Ephesians. A true leader knows the way, goes the way, and shows others the way. And that's what we're all called to. I just want to be a Christian. Well, you're a Christian. Like it or not, by being a Christian in God's family, you've been called into ministry to do ministry. We've got to find the maturity to do it. Amen? Questions? Thoughts? Do you think it's lacking in the church overall this day and time it's hard to say unless you're in a bunch of different churches but I think within Christian as a whole Which true leadership is going to be unwavering on truth. Yeah. yeah. You're not answering the man. <laughs> so. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. We thank you for the letter that you gave us through Paul and to the church there in Ephesus and Father, what a call uh, that we have 
in this call is, uh, is to be taken serious and, uh, and to be mature, to be truly mature, to be spiritually mature is a serious process. Uh, it doesn't come just by prayer only. It doesn't come by just showing up at church on Sunday. It comes about being influenced by your word, uh, stand upon it, be unwavering, but be able to, uh, to, to lead and guide and encourage and direct others through it. And, uh, Father, the, the, this is the leadership, the true spiritual leadership you call us to. It has nothing to do with titles or positions. It's all about influence. Leadership is all about influencing others for, for you and your goodness. So help us uh, over these next uh, few Wednesdays uh, to relish this, uh, this opportunity we have to learn how to mature. And the thing about maturity, it doesn't stop. It's not a one and done. We're always growing and maturing in your truth uh, so we can influence and have greater influence on those around us. So we thank you for it and ask that you forgive us where we fail you. We ask these things in Christ's name.